A U.S. warship responds to an attack on a commercial ship in the Red Sea again. And Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is in the region for meetings with Middle East leaders. Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. This is Israel's operation, and I'm not here to dictate timelines or terms. And Space Command is fully operational, but does it yet have a home? And what does it all mean for our defense and security? Well, you'll find out. I'm your host, Simone Perez. Today is Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. First up, CNN reported that a military official said the USS Kearney responded to a distress call from a commercial vessel after it was attacked by multiple projectiles in the Southern Red Sea yesterday. It comes just days after U.S. Central Command said the same Navy destroyer shot down a barrage of 14 attack drones. The command said in a statement Saturday that the unmanned aerial systems launched as a drone wave from Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen. It said the drones were assessed to be one-way attack drones and were shot down with no damage to ships or reported injuries. CENTCOM officials did not immediately clarify Saturday if Kearney was believed to be the target of the attack drones. CENTCOM said it was unclear if American ships were the targets of the drones and other recent incidents. It did say that the destroyers shot down the drones in self-defense. On Friday afternoon, the Mason responded to a Mayday call from a Liberian flagship that was struck by two Houthi ballistic missiles. Here's why it matters. All this comes as Secretary Austin visits the region. Austin arrived in Israel on Monday, where he discussed with Israeli leaders ways to scale back major combat operations in Gaza. But he said Washington was not imposing a timetable despite international calls for a ceasefire. This is Israel's operation, and I'm not here to dictate timelines or terms. We also have some great thoughts about um, how to transition from high-intensity operations to a lower-intensity and more surgical operations. U.S. officials over the weekend said Austin ordered the aircraft carrier Gerald R. Ford and one other warship to remain in the Mediterranean Sea for several more weeks. That would maintain a two-carrier presence near Israel as its war with Hamas grinds on. It would be the third time the Ford's deployment has been extended, which underscores the continued concerns about volatility in the region during Israel's war in Gaza. Another important story, in case you missed it, U.S. Space Command is now fully operational. And for more on this, C4ISR net reporter Courtney Albin joins the episode. Hey, Courtney. So could you tell us about the recent announcement about the combatant command becoming fully operational? Uh, last week, the, the head of U.S. Space Command, General James Dickinson, announced that they'd achieved this milestone called full operational capability. Uh, they also call it FOC. Um, essentially, that means that uh, Space Command meets all of the criteria to conduct its mission. That matters because it sort of validates that um, they have the infrastructure and people and processes in place uh, to do what they were created to do. FOC, um, just as a side note, probably would have come sooner had the space command had space command had a permanent headquarters in place, but it's been operating since 2019 out of a provisional headquarters in Colorado Springs. President Biden announced this past summer that they had selected a permanent headquarters at Peterson Air Force Base, and that announcement seems to have paved the way or checked the box for this milestone to occur. 
So folks might remember, but can you bring us up to speed again about the multiple reviews from government watchdog agencies and debates between states who are all trying to become the location to host the command headquarters? Yeah, so uh, so it's been quite a, quite a bit of that over the last few years. Um, so those reviews center on uh, the process for selecting a headquarters for the command. After Space Command was reinstated again in, in 2019, the Pentagon launched this headquarters selection process, which was led by the Air Force. Um, just, a, just a note here that um, basing decisions, especially ones like this where um, there's a combatant command involved, can be pretty contentious and they involve a lot of different stakeholders. The way the process works is that the Air Force runs the search and the Pentagon recommends a winner, but the White House makes the, the decision ultimately. A few years ago in, in 2021, after this nationwide selection process, former President Trump announced basically at the end of his term um, that Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville would be home to Space Command. That announcement uh, drew a ton of pushback from the congressional delegation in Colorado who were hoping their state would come out on top. Um, so they, they claimed that there was political meddling and they demanded that, that the Pentagon's inspector general and the government accountability office review the decision. Those re- reviews wrapped up uh, the next year and the agencies found that while there were some credibility issues uh, with the basing process that the Air Force didn't really violate any laws when it selected Huntsville. That decision may have stood. However, um, while those reviews were taking place, um, the Defense Department kind of reopened the question of who would host the command. Um, and this past summer, the Biden administration ultimately announced that this command would stay in Colorado. That announcement, as you might guess, created this continued backlash. And since uh, the Biden administration kind of made this announcement, it comes to light that while um, the administration favored Colorado and that decision actually did have pretty strong support from Space Command itself, um, the Air Force had actually uh, chosen and preferred uh, Alabama largely because it was like the less expensive option for locating a headquarters. So the Alabama de- delegation and, and specifically Mike Rogers, who um has a pretty powerful position um, as the as the leader of the House Armed Services Committee um, called for more investigations and more reviews this time from the Inspector General and the U.S. Comptroller. So that's kind of the state of those reviews, and 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 there's been quite a bit over the past few years. And what can you tell us about the provision related to the command's headquarters in the recently passed 2024 National Defense Authorization Act? Yeah, so the the NDAA includes language that um, basically prevents Space Command from spending any money that's appropriated for fiscal year 2024 to construct its permanent headquarters until those two reports are completed. They're expected to wrap up in late June of next year. So that means that until next summer, Space Command is sort of still stuck stuck in this limbo. Um, They're not able to begin building permanent headquarters and there are still questions looming about whether they'll in fact even remain in Colorado. Thanks, Courtney. If you enjoyed our conversation, please like and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Also on your radar for today, veterans with low disability ratings often earn more annually than their non-disabled peers, but those with more significant service injuries lag significantly behind other veterans in personal income. That's according to a new report from the Congressional Budget Office. Here's why it matters. The findings come as the Department of Veterans Affairs continues to see its annual disability compensation costs rise each year. Those payouts totaled $125 billion in fiscal 2022. 
That's almost 45% of all department funding. Veterans with disability ratings can span a range of ailments, including physical wounds, illnesses linked to military toxic exposures, traumatic brain injury, and post-traumatic stress disorder. About 30% of all veterans in America had some compensatable service-connected disability in 2022. CBO researchers found that a veteran collecting disability payouts is more likely to be younger than the average veteran, to be married, and to have a college degree. About one in five veterans with any disability rating are not in the American workforce. The difference typically comes down to an individual's ability to work. Veterans with low disability ratings average about $2,300 in payouts from the VA over the course of a year, but have been able to maintain full-time jobs and keep pace with their peers. Report authors did not draw any conclusions about whether any changes are needed in the veterans' compensation system, though. But they did say that the findings will help policymakers compare veterans that receive and don't receive disability benefits. Researchers said it will help them gauge the importance of compensation. And now here's some other stories we're hearing chirps about. A federal judge has issued a temporary restraining order barring removal of a memorial to Confederate soldiers at Arlington National Cemetery. The Army had planned to remove the memorial this week. In case you missed it, the number of veterans experiencing homelessness rose more than 7% from 2022 to 2023, according to data from the Department of Housing and Urban Development. It marks the largest such yearly jump in 10 years. North Korea yesterday conducted its first intercontinental ballistic missile test in five months. And SpaceX is now targeting December 28th for Falcon Heavy to launch Space Force's X-37B space plane from NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And on this day in history, in 1777, Commander of the Continental Army, George Washington, led his troops into winter quarters at Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com EBB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted by me, Zimone Z. Perez, and produced by myself and Jonathan Lairfeld. Today's episode featured stories by the Associated Press, Jeff Zulowitz, Courtney Alban, and Leo Shane III. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Bruce. Have a great day.